Father, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for um, your people, Father, and man, the gift of each other that you've given us. Um, Father, I thank you for the opportunity and, man, the, the gift that we have to, to live in a country where we can gather together freely and worship you. Uh, Lord, forgive us for the times we take that for granted. Lord, forgive us for our short attention spans. Um, Lord, forgive us for the times that we wake up on the wrong side of the bed and forget. Lord, I just pray you'd help us all to focus um, on what gives us life, which is you, our relationship with you. Lord, I know there's people in this room, uh, man, that, that don't believe. Um, maybe they don't want to. Uh, maybe they do, but they feel so far away. Um, Lord, a million miles away. I just pray that uh, you would meet them right where they're at, show them the truth of who you are, heal broken hearts, uh, restore and do as you, you always do. And Father, I pray you'd help me to preach your word, preach it well, and that I wouldn't get in the way and i give you all the glory. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> How you guys doing today? <laughs> nice, all right, that's pretty good. <clears throat> so, if it is your first time, it is, I can't talk. If it is your first time today or your first time in a while, we are in the midst of a series called Liar Liar. Now, even the name is slightly offensive uh, because that is what I do. Intentionally, unintentionally, I don't know anymore. But the, the point of the series is to the fact that there are a lot of things within our faith, okay, Christians, non-Christians in the room, that we accept as part of Christianity, as part of life, that this is the norm that really doesn't line up with the Bible. It's just what we do in church. Some of that's put on us from the world. Sometimes the world assumes things of the church because they don't know, right? They make uh, assumptions. And sometimes it, it, it is things that we have created, kind of our own little comfortable culture. And so the point of all this is to say, hey, ha, liar, liar, I'm just kidding, is to point those out and to, to maybe compare them to what Scripture actually says. Make sense? So, a question for you guys. Who here has heard the term Lazy Sunday? <laughs> Not as many as I thought. Yeah. So, anyone remember? This is old. This is old. There's an SNL skit. Yeah, some, like one person. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, where it was called Lazy Sunday. No? Okay, Google it. I, think, I don't know if it's appropriate. Don't Google it. <clears throat> but... Um, it's pretty funny. So the term lazy Sunday, I know you know what it is because I've heard you say it, right? It's just one of those lazy days. I just took a lazy day. I took a lazy Sunday. And what lazy Sunday typically means or a lazy day is that is a day for me. It's a day that I need to recharge. It's a day I need to have some fun myself. You know, all these things. <clears throat> it's just a day where we don't do anything. And a lot of times, and you know this is true, you won't call it that. You'll take your lazy Sundays because you just need a day to recharge, even from church. You just have to have a day to yourself. It's just it's too much work, right, to get here. Now, before I go on, I'm not saying that you have to be in a church door every single week, right? Things come up. We understand that. We mean, I don't know who we are. We should understand that as believers. But I think we use that as a little bit of an excuse. So before I go on, let me say that because they're going to be like, Todd, Sam, we, we can never leave. That's not what I'm saying. We say we just need a day to recharge. Who likes statistics? Anyone? Any math nerds? <laughs> I offended you again. Okay, so <clears throat> I want to tell you guys some stats, and maybe you've heard of these. COVID, before I begin, ooh, oh, we just got banned. Um, 
pandemic hit us pretty hard. And by us, I mean the church. Okay, and I'll get to that a little bit later. To this day, 25% of churchgoers haven't went back. 25%. Um, the church during the pandemic lost a third, right? The church meaning churchgoers. <clears throat> they just haven't went back. So keep that in mind as we go on. But I want to tell you that in America, 63% of people call themselves Christians. They say they're Christians. 63% of Americans say they are Christian. Okay? Now, 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, that number was 75%. So that alone, first of all, do we really believe there's 75 or 63% of people that are Christians? Probably not. But there was enough draw focus that, that people would say that. And we've lost 12% in 10 years of people who would even say they're Christian. But 63% of people say they're Christian. Now, keep that in mind. Let's just assume they're telling the truth, okay, or that they're aware. <clears throat> Listen to a couple of these stats. The share of regular, and this is from uh, ifcstudies.org. You can look this up. It's the decline of church attendance in CVID America. Uh, the share of regular churchgoers is down by six points. It was at 34%, this is of people, so 60, 63% say they're Christians, <clears throat> 34% in 2019 said they were regular churchgoers. Regular church attendance, by the way, is measured in a standard way by this statement. Aside from weddings and funerals, how often do you attend religious services? Makes sense? Because we all go to that. So 34% in 2019, and then the latest, we'll find out in 2022 here at the end, but in 2021, 28%. Listen to me, 28% right, of Americans are regular church attenders, but 63% say that they're Christians. That's a massive difference, right? Massive difference. <clears throat> and here's a heartbreaking stat. In, at the same time, so that's down, that's went down in two years, six points. Wasn't very high to begin with, 34%. We're now down to 28%. Meanwhile, the share of secular Americans, that means people who aren't Christian, who have never or seldom attended religious service, increased by seven points. So not only has that affected people that went, right, to church, the people who wouldn't go but would go sometimes has went down by 7%. Get what I'm saying? There's a complete disinterest. That coincides, interestingly, with the amount of Christians who attend church. You get what I mean? As we've stopped attending church, they've been less interested in attending church. <clears throat> According to data collected in April and May of 2020 by the Barna Group, one in, three, one in three practicing Christians dropped out of church completely during CVID-19. Okay, I say that because it really is. I'm just telling you right now. Social media will do weird things to you if you say it. Last June, the AP broke a story about many... Houses of worship in the U.S. were shuttered forever due to the pandemic. 4,500 Protestant churches closed their doors in 2020 alone. Boom. Done. Within six months. Never to open again. That happened in, in Whitley County, too, by the way. Many churches shut their doors. What's worse, church membership. Now, listen. If you're not a Christian, you're like, what is that? Is that the cult talk? No, it just means church membership means we're doing what we should do anyway. You're committing to a church body. Right? That is your church home. We'll get to that in a little bit. But <clears throat> it's dropped below 50% for the first time in 2020. 
with the data going all the way back to 1940. So from 1940 till now, it has never dropped below 50%. Less than 50% of people are members of a church, but 63% say they're Christians. Many churches report, even that are still open, they're only at 36 to 60% of pre-pandemic levels of attendance. So even the ones that are open, their, their percentages are still really low. Make sense? I know, some of you are bored by numbers, me too, but some of you are like, hmm. <clears throat> the average church is essentially missing 25% of its churchgoers. And I have a couple of uh, slides here. You want to put the first one up? There we go, perfect. I'm going to have to, oh, I've got it right here. So this is regular church attendance that's declined during COVID-19. And this gives us 19, 20, and 21. So if you look here at the bottom on the left-hand side, it says people who, this is a percentage of people that went at least once or twice per month. In the middle, it says a few times a year. And then, of course, you have never or seldom. So let's go to at least once or twice per month. By the way, that's considered regular. Okay? Once or twice a month. In 2019, it was 34%. In 2020, it was 31, and 2021, it was 28. A few times a year, that stayed fairly consistent, but it still went down, right, 12%. And then interestingly, I mentioned this earlier, coincided. In 2020, only 50% never went. Then 2020, I'm sorry, 2019, 2020, 50, what, 3% never went, and now 57. That's gone up. Let that sink in for a second. This is where I tend to get fired up, and then somebody walks out and says, that guy's angry. You should be angry, too. The people that never go, and I'll get to this in a minute, and you'll understand why. Unfortunately, for most of us, church and inviting people to church is the only opportunity we really give unbelievers to hear the gospel. Let me explain this to you. This isn't a matter of whether we can have a lot of people in church or whether we look cool. It's a matter of eternity. And you should care. And so should I. Now, if you go, the next one I have here goes, breaks that down by demographics. That's age, okay? So the top one, if you can't see it real well, it's just, that's the one I'm going to focus on. It's, it's age, okay? In 2019, 18 to 34, there was 36%. Look at that. In one year, right? In one year, <clears throat> look what happened. It went, for, it went ten, down 10%. See, that's what churches are desperate to get you young people. Because you see why now? That means a fourth of people your age don't go to church. Then you say 35 to, 35 to 64, 31%. That dropped down what? 4%. And even among 65 plus, that actually dropped way more than I would anticipate it. 11%. 47, only 47% of Americans are members of a house or worship, our house of worship church. Less than half Americans are members of a church, but 63% say they're Christian. You can get rid of that. I'm going to say that again. Less than half of Americans are members of a church, but 63% say they're Christian. Only 22% of Americans attend church every week, compared to 31% of Americans who never attend. Let that sink in. But hey, 63%. And a lot of you in here, and I'll, you know, I, only way I can get you to pay attention, I got to make you mad. The reality is, you're content with that because you go, right? That's heartbreaking. 
And before you say, well, that's not our job, isn't it? It seems to correlate. The less interested we are, the less we say, I'm a Christian, but I don't have to go to church, the less interested they are. And some of you in the room probably know that. Some of you aren't believers, and you're saying, yeah, these people don't believe what they say they believe. You're right. They don't act like they say or they believe what they say they believe. I'm sorry for that example, including me. Now, this is the one I told you that, that's very interesting that coincides. Remember, church tends to be, why is church the only place where people hear the gospel, really? I'll tell you why. You got, did, I, did I give you the third one? I never know, Zeke. Oh, I did. Nice. Perfect. Thank you, sir. This is the percentage, okay? Only three in ten unchurched Americans say a Christian has shared with them one-on-one how a person even becomes a Christian. Okay? So here's some questions. Has a Christian, they ask these people, has a, question, a Christian, and this comes from Lifeway Research, has a Christian ever shared with you one-on-one any of the following? Number one, how a person becomes a Christian. 29%, less than a third, say that they have ever even to- been told how somebody becomes a Christian. Number two, the benefits of becoming a Christian. Boy, that's true, right? We seem miserable. That's what, oh, i got to go to church again. 35%. I don't know what the benefits are. Here's a benefit, eternal life. We don't even tell them that, right? Forgiveness of sins. How about the benefits of participating in a local church? 33%. Boy, that's interesting. We'll tell them to come to church, but won't tell them how to become a Christian. That's what I mean, right? So I'm not complaining. At least 33% of the time we'll invite them to church, but we're not going. And then... That last one should hit you. They gave another option, number four, none of these, 40%. And before you say, man, that's mean of them, have you told even 40% of the people in your life that don't know Jesus any of that? I already know the answer. Hits me too. I don't want to offend them, right? I don't want to offend them. I don't want to upset them. I can't talk about that at work. Continue on, 37% of Americans, this includes Christians, have confidence in the church. Believing in it is a positive thing, 37%. Now some of that, 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 that one's a little skewed, right? If you're not a believer and you're hostile to the gospel, you're not going to like the church, right? But still, what does all this tell us? If you got lost in the numbers, you can come back now, or at least pretend to. Many things, what does it tell us? It tells us many things. And it may have seemed overwhelming to hear all these numbers, so let me kind of break it down for you. Today, I want to focus on one thing that this clearly shows us, because there's a lot here. I could just stop now and walk out, right? Compare that to to the Bible. American Christians do not view the church as important. Here, I'll get your attention. You don't think the church is important. You don't. You don't believe the church is important. I already made something like that. Good. Let me tell you why. Because... We are the body of Christ. We're only strong as our weakest member. And whether we want to believe it or not, if we're not part of the solution, we're contributing to the problem. Ask yourself how you approach going to church, how you talk about church, or how you don't, compared to how you talk about your job. Guys, we're notorious for this. Get us together. We'll talk about that promotion, everything we've done, our job, our work. But guess what we won't do? We won't talk about the church. That's boring. Now, some of that, guys, you know, it does get boring, right? It doesn't speak to us sometimes. But the truth should. That's another, that's a whole other topic. 
We don't view church as synonymous with our faith. It's the old quote, I don't have to go to church. I was that guy. So before, you know, I can get mad at myself. I 100%, I say this all the time, Andy's my proof. I was that guy, right? I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That was my big thing, right? You ever do that? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's true. That's true. You don't have to. We'll get to that in a minute. Church becomes another thing in the laundry list of our lives that we have to do. We go because we're supposed to, but we often go begrudgingly. What does that mean? It's a fancy word for, eh, we fall asleep, right? Got you. But you're down when it's, when it's concert time, right? If I had a squirt gun or I threw jello at you or something, you'd be pumped, right? That's why these guys, these... These uh, mega pastors, I'm serious, they get, that's how they're fun, right? That's you get a slingshot and shoot jello at you, and you're like, this guy's awesome. And you walk out and go, remember the jello sermon? That's all you'll remember. But I've considered it. Remember, I tried to shoot Jack with that Nerf gun, it didn't work. That's how desperate I was. <laughs> we have to do it, but often begrudgingly, right? Here, you ready? Which one of these is you? I have family day planned. I need a me day. I'm tired. My wife doesn't want to, my husband doesn't want to. Ooh, husbands, ooh, sons of guns. If your wife is a spiritual leader of your home, there's half the problem. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, right? Stereotypically, I've done this a long time. It's usually not the women falling asleep. Right? It just isn't. It's usually not uh, the women that say, let's don't go to church today. It's us. That's reality. It's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm tired. You know what's odd about all those? I have a family day plan. I need a me day. I'm tired. Oddly, we typically don't think those are good excuses to miss work. It's weird that our me days never coincide with work day. I've, and, and at least some people have told me, and this is cool, they've actually said, well, I don't get paid to go to church. Hey, man, I can't even be mad at you. At least you're honest. Right? Right? Is that you? Are you the person that's like, you'll take your me day, but just not on Monday? Don't worry, I'll stop offending you at some point. If we come to the place that a church is no longer serving us, whether the pastor preaches too long, he's too offensive, the music's too loud, it's not loud enough, it doesn't have a nice coffee bar, we conveniently feel that God is calling us somewhere else. After all, there's just another church right around the corner. We even have a term for it that we jokingly say to each other, church hopping, church shopping. I'm just church shopping. And the concept of it, sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes there's legitimate reasons. But I'll tell you one thing. God's not going to call you to just wander around and not be in church at all until you randomly find one. We almost, we, can, we almost can seem to look for reasons that a church is bad or is not a good fit, right? We treat church like we're a bad boyfriend. You ready for this? You're going to like this analogy. You're going to like this, David. Ready? You ready? You guys ready? No? I'll, go, I'll throw a podium. Right? We treat church like we're a bad boyfriend. We start out nice and excited, but in the end, we just can't commit. No? Girls, yeah? Feel me? Yeah? A couple of you are like, yep, that's true, right? That is the truth, though, right? That's what we are like. Hey, yeah, we're excited, nice, and after a couple weeks, we're like, you know, let's just be friends. Church becomes just another have-it-your-way American institution in which it's only as good and useful as long as it's convenient, useful to us personally, and doesn't offend us too much. See, I ain't going to see some of you ever again already. We ain't even got to Scripture. I already made you mad you ain't even coming back. You'd be in trouble if Paul was preaching. 
I'm telling you right now, go read, go read what he has to say. That just makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> we want it our way, right? That's what we're used to. I'd like my hamburger my way. I'd like my church my way. It's an institution. It's a nonprofit. It's a social club. It's a burden. It's a job. It's that thing we have to do, but just enough to check the Christian box. Something the world and each other, and this one's different, right? The world and all of us, we expect it to be perfect, even though it's made of imperfect people. And if it's not perfect, then it's a failure. Is that what Scripture tells us? And perfect only seems to be perfect to us right, in the moment. The truth is, it's this type of mindset is just another example of a lie we've accepted in our culture. Listen to me. That's a lie. And I'm going to say this again in case you're new. Again, it makes me feel better. If you're irritated already, and I know you are, some of you. I know because I would be. I didn't say your name. I don't know you. Most of you, I don't even know you, right? The Holy Spirit's real. And when he's speaking to you, you can either get angry and run and fight, or you can humble yourself and listen to what he has to say. We've tried to shape this beautiful thing called church around our preconceived notions, and it's become normal to view church as that once-a-week place we go to get a pick-me-up. That's why we only need it sometimes, right? When it's draining us and not filling our cup, if you've been around here long enough, that's a pet peeve of mine. I'm just being honest. I, the, the, the term, I can't, I don't know why. It drives me nuts. I just need to fill my cup before I can give you some water. Listen, if I got a half a cup of water and you're thirsty, I can give you some. <clears throat> Once a week, the reality is far different than this. Listen to these words. The end of Matthew 16, 18. Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, I will say to you, that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, the gates of hell. Let that sink in. That's how Jesus described it. Does that sound like McDonald's? Huh? The gates of hell, the forces of hell will not overpower it, will not overcome it, will not prevail against it. And then, of course, there's the chapter in Acts 2. We all see that it's beautiful, but we're scared to, to, to really accept what it means. Listen to this. After the church, the beginning of the church, and starting in verse 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed through the apostles. Now all the believers, what are believers? It's Christians. Were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Now listen, they ended up finding out later that didn't work that way, right? It was just too hard to distribute, but they wanted to meet those needs. Every day they devoted them, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. I'm gonna tell you all right now. Me too. We're not all, we are not joyful people, especially at church. But if I come chill with you while you're having your glass of wine with your work buddies, you're, a, you're having a great time. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. That's so, I've said this before, and you've probably heard it a million times before. Why did they have favor with everyone? Why did people look at them and say, that's different because of all the things that came before? And it says, Why? they have favor with all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It wasn't going down, it was going up. Why? 
Jesus said this himself. Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. Christians, not just the world. And it shows it here. That's different, right? The world's not built on that kind of thing. It's my time. Don't take my time, my family's time. My free time. We'll go on further. Listen to this What in 1 Timothy 3.15, how the church is described. But if I should, this is the Apostle Paul, but if I should be delayed, have written out so that you will, I have written out so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. God's household, his house, which is the church of the living God. Listen to this. The pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Not a truth, not some truth, not that truth, the truth, the only truth. We, God's church, his body, is to be the pillar and foundation of the truth. And we are seeing, right, in our culture what happens when we decide it's not that. When it becomes the McDonald's of our lives, it's not the pillar and foundation of the truth. And without the pillar and foundation of truth, what do people stand on? What do people look to for the answers? Someone's going to give them answers. Knowing this and hearing this, what is the purpose of the church? What should it look like? Is it important to our faith? Is it about me or is it about we? Church doesn't make someone a Christian, but a Christian goes to church. Now, this is one of those moments. I can't tell if you're sleeping or you're, like, really into it. You're nodding. Two people, cool. Nod your head if you're listening. That would help me out. And then the rebel's like, I ain't nodding my head for you. I'd be that person, too. I get it. I used to be. I'm not as much of a rebel anymore. As much. All right, so we're going to talk about that. Church doesn't make someone a Christian, but a Christian goes to church. If Jesus said it was important, it's important. If the apostles, do you know the Bible, the things you read, Apostle Paul, Peter, all that, do you know who they were writing to? Churches. Sometimes we tend to think those are letters to us individually, right? God uses that for us individually, but it was written to churches, to the body of believers. He couldn't have reached us all if we were all chilling at home. He can't send a million letters out. It was written to us because the assumption was by the Apostle Paul that we would be together. So we're going to talk about, and I'll list them at the end, what, is some of the, what are the purposes of the church? Well, number one, I'm going to dive right into it, David. Number one, the purpose of the church is to worship, to worship God. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. Listen to this. I believe it should be there. Are we good? Yep. As you come to him... Him, capital H, who do you think that is? Is it me? Jesus, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people. Oof, if, he, if people rejected him, what are they going to do to us sometimes? Rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. So even though you're rejected by people, you are chosen and honored by God. You yourselves are living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I love how the Holy Spirit speaks. You're living stones, and we roll together to build the temple. Isn't that incredible? We roll together to become God's church. 
Separately, we're living stones, right? We're still a a a chosen priesthood, royal priesthood. But when we come together, we build something incredible. For what purpose? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ to give him what he is due. Colossians 3.16, listen to this. There's a lot in here. I could just base it around this. Let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. There you go. We come together to worship God, yes, through singing. And before you go, man, I ain't a singer. Guys, let me tell you something. I'm a guy, okay? may surprise you, but I am. <clears throat> when you're in your car and ain't nobody around, and you got whatever music you're listening to, and then you take a look around and nobody's there, it starts with a little head bob. I know how you are. <laughs> but before you know it, you're singing. You know you are. I know you are. Let's quit pretending we don't know how to sing. You know how to sing. And here's the reality. It says, why is it so important that we sing songs to him? Music is woven into the fabric of who we are. We know it. It is important. We come together to worship God through singing. We make a joyful noise to God to thank him, to praise him, and to recognize his power and his goodness. Some of you are so cold, man. And that's why you're lost. Because you've forgotten all this. This is just the place you come to get your hamburger. We know the importance of cheering and singing. You've been to a sporting event? You cheer. Not only that, you'll sing. Na, 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 na. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's singing. You don't know that song? Na, na, na. Hey, goodbye. Yeah. Trademark. Copyright. We're in trouble. We don't own the rights to that song. They're going to be like, clearly, we don't think you do, man. That didn't sound anything like it, right? We know the importance of cheering and singing. I want you to think about right now so you understand. And, guys, this is us more than anything. You go to, let's say you have a daughter, your wife, your friend, it doesn't matter, single, your mom, and you go to their concert, and they put on a beautiful, beautiful piano recital. It's beautiful. They look out at you. Everybody's clapping, and you're going, or you're going. Or like everyone's like, congratulations, you're going. That's what you do when you sing, right? Or, or they look out at you and you're going. You wouldn't do that, would you? Because it would hurt them. We praise people. We understand it. Stop overthinking it. We come together to praise God. To make a joyful noise. How often are you joyful? How often are you joyful? Listen, I'm not by nature the bubbly joy guy. I used to be, and then life jaded me, right? <clears throat> but it's a fruit of the Spirit, joyful. And most of the time, listen, I get to preach, and I'm so thankful you guys come, and I mean this, but I mean, if you were, if I had a camera looking at you guys sometimes, and I played it in front of the seats in front of you, some of you all would immediately go, Right, Because you'd realize how intimidating and scary and angry you look the entire time. Now, some of you, that's your thinking face. I get it. But some of y'all, that's not your thinking face. Right? You're not joyful. Because part of the reason is you're not listening to Jesus when he says, hey, don't worry about the future. I've already taken care of the past. 
and if you right, stay here in the moment. We worship him. Number two, what's the second purpose? We'll dive into Hebrews here, 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Uh-huh. Here, um, <clears throat> podium throwing. You ready? Listen. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. Which one of y'all is that talking to? Right? As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is when he's coming back. See, we should be living like he's coming back tomorrow. If you knew he was coming back in 15 minutes, would this be different? Would your vibe be different? Would the way you approach this be different? Absolutely it would. And that's, they lived in that. The early church lived in the thought, right, that he's coming back. And he could. It could happen in two seconds. One, two, right? Some of y'all. So what is it? It's community. We are called together to live in community. Now, the church claims they like community. Take it from a guy who's, who's been a part of building a church where we try to live biblical community. People are in two camps. Three camps. There's three camps. All right. Camp number one, you love it. You're like, this is what I've been looking for. People who truly are in each other's lives. We want to be there. We want to support each other. Number two, you love it for a month. And then you realize, whoa, 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 this is, this is real. <laughs> Get out of my face, right? And then there's three who are immediately... This is weird. I hate this. Get out of my face. Let me go to the place where I can sit and I meld into the crowd and nobody knows my name. That's it. I'm telling you, that's the three. But we're called to be in a deeper community than that. Do I think it's possible to have a church of a thousand people and be in deep community? Unlike some people, I think it is. But it has to be a culture that's built from the beginning and kept it has to be kept and worked on. And listen to me, I, I could do it perfectly, and if you aren't doing your part, it's not going to happen. We call it culture setting around here. Are you willing to set the culture even when the people around you are wondering or they try to change it? Are you willing to say, I'm not moving from here. This is important, and I don't care if people call me weird. I'm rejected by people. This is what he's called me to do. This is what I'm going to do. You have one person doing that, it makes a difference. You have 50 people, 100 people, 1,000 people. Now what? Then the community is going to start looking, and they're going to say, something's going on over there. And their number was added to daily. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 tells us what this community can look like too, right? It said it earlier, not neglecting, but first Hebrews, not neglecting to gather together some something to doing. By the way, I love, I'm sorry, go back. I changed my mind. Go back to the other one. All right, not neglecting to gather together some are in the habit of doing. This is something you all need to hear. It's almost like they're, they're compared. <clears throat> if you are neglecting to come together, you're not encouraging each other. Right? Because why would he say, not neglecting to gather together some are in the habit of doing, but, but would be the opposite, right? But encouraging each other all the more. When you're not here, someone's not encouraged by you. Well, Todd, who's encouraging me? <laughs> if everybody loves everybody and everyone's focused on encouraging everyone, everyone gets encouraged and loved. But, when you fo- but if we all focus on ourselves, nobody does. It's important. Your attendance, and this is, this is, this is I, I feel like, you know, some of you are, this is an exciting time, man, for us. We're growing. And so I, you know. 
it's happening. People are coming. It's nice. It's exciting. And then they kind of go, and some come back. Thank you. Right? But <clears throat> one of the things that, that I, uh, you need to hear from me so you understand is I personally, Todd, like I don't get a cookie if you come to this church every week. I, I, don't, get a, I don't get a new car. I, you know, I'm not going around bragging. That's not me. I'm not that guy. If you came to me and go, Todd, you know, in my flesh, I'll come here if you do this. I'd be like, have a good day. Like, I, I, that, that's not going to happen. I'm not telling you this for my own benefit. This is completely opposite the way I was raised. For those of you that are new here, I was not raised in the church. I had to get my mind wrapped around this. And to this day, do you know what I was raised? I'm from the South. This is truly how we are. Hey, stay out of their business. Right? You're, and I still struggle with that. Imagine being a pastor and someone comes to your counsel and there's this part of me that's like, listen, man, don't get in their business. We all have to change and adapt to Christ and mold our lives around him, not try to mold him around us. So when I tell you to go to church, and that lie in your head of like, he's trying to get me to go there, so he makes a million dollars. Look around, man. We ain't nobody got a million dollars here, okay? I'm telling you because it's the truth, and it's for your good. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, what does it say? Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, the church, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Man, interesting. What's the key to growing in every way into him who is the head? There's that body analogy, who, how we grow into Christ, speaking truth to each other in love. From him, Christ, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up, here we go again, in love by the proper working of each individual part. That's pretty wordy. I'll put it in the Todd version, right? We speak truth and love. We're in community. We come together. We move towards Christ. And as we do that, we're building ourselves up. The church, the community, through the individual people and their contributions to it. Make sense? Give me something. If it doesn't, I'll say explain it again. So you have to... Do your part. We all have a part. And when we come together and do that, what happens? Well, we build each other up. We promote the body. It naturally builds itself up when the individuals do what God has called us to do, which is what? Be in community. Go to church. Love each other. Forgive. Support. Speak truth and love. All those things. But I'm sleepy. Me too. You don't think I'm sleepy? Look at this. I'm sleepy. I don't sleep well. <clears throat> I don't know why I told you that. Anyway, I'm just so sad. Anyway, uh, right? we encourage each other, serve each other, take care of each other, support each other. Remember in Acts it said they were willing, they were, they were so passionate about supporting each other, they just brought all their stuff together, sold it, and tried to give each other everything they needed. Then they're like, this is not a good system right now. We can't. But that's how much they desired to. Do you desire that for the people around you? Do you desire to meet their needs? To support them and love them, or are you looking to see how they support yours, and you're judging a church by how your needs are supported? Do they give me what I want? We encourage each other, serve each other, take care of each other, support each other. But if you've ever been in a true biblical community, whether it's short, whether you were hurt, before you were hurt, some of you, before the church hurt you, remember what it was like? Remember what it was like to feel like that was a place where you're loved and accepted and met? That's what it really is. We need each other. 
We do. We need each other. He told us that. We need each other. Do you always feel like you need your family or friends as you come to the holiday season? Do you feel like you need your family and friends prepared to go to those 17 family meals you got, right? Do you feel like going there always? That's a beautiful thing. I love talking to some of you. You're so passionate about your families. You're willing to do anything. I know you don't want to go. I just talked to a guy. like, man, I got to go from church to here. And, you know, it's going to be rushed. And I was like, well, dude, you don't, I, I, this is me not trying, I'm not trying to stop him from going to family. I was like, you don't have to rush. He goes, but I want to be at both. Right? You'll do anything for your family. And that's so beautiful. You do it even when you don't feel like it. Why don't you do that for the church family? Why don't you do that for your brothers and sisters in Christ who the reality is at the end of the age, that's your family. Of course you don't always feel like you need each other, but that doesn't mean you don't. We don't neglect to gather together because it's not always about what we need or want, but also about our brothers and sisters and what they may need from us. See, if you woke up every day, next time you wake up and go, I don't want to go to church today, think to yourself, but what if I'm the thing someone else needs? I'm the person someone else needs. I've always said this, man. The more you focus outward, right, the less you'll be concerned about your own selfish needs. And it's not selfish. It's kind of like a two-way street to be loved and desired, and people should do that. And if you're at a church that's not healthy in that way and not biblical, that's a good reason to leave. Or if you're moving and all those things, after you've done what you're supposed to do, right, talk to them, et cetera. But it's not always about what we need or get. And I already know. Listen, I feel like I have to say this. There's grumpy people, and you are mad because you know what I'm saying is the truth. And you know it's you. And I know, and this, this is important too if you're new, he's looking right at me. I'm not. There's too many people. Unless you're a grumpy face, I will look at you sometimes. Because you're like a magnet. I can't help it. I'm like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just like, David, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, I get you Right? Or you're super friendly. Or you're like a robot like Luke. Either way, I will be drawn to you. Right? Nice. The robot smiled a smidgen. That's what I need. Just kidding. He's a very loving guy. Uh, and I don't see Luke ever again. So that doesn't mean you don't, right? We don't neglect to gather together because it's not always about me. God has made his church to come together because it's about we. And everybody loves that. Listen, I know you love that. There's a part of you that desires that. You know how I know? Because we have, non-believers have clubs, don't they? They have institutions. They have biker gangs. They have the Knights of whatever. They have all of these groups we want to be part of because we intrinsically are wired for relationship. We want that community. We'll even have it at work. But that's because it's easy and convenient and we can leave it. We can get it when we need it and walk away. And the way the church is called to be, and we all know it, it's deeper than that. See, if I stop coming here tomorrow, it wouldn't just be because I preach on some people, but, uh, but there are people that I know would, would hunt me, <laughs> right? They'd come finding me. I know they would. They wouldn't leave me alone. It's happened. You know, if I'm having a bad day and I'm like, they won't leave me alone. You won't leave me alone, which is a beautiful thing. Because sometimes I need you and I don't even know it. So number Three, or in mine, letter C, whatever. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what this one is. We're moving on. Okay, so we need community. With community is something else that's very similar that comes through community. Remember in Colossians 3.16, this little, bit, little part that says teaching 
and admonishing one another through psalms and all these things, right? Teaching and admonishing. What does admonishing mean? In case you don't know, I'm a word gal, I'll tell you. It's not going to be on the screen, so you got to listen. Admonish means warn or reprimand someone firmly. Ooh, you're wrong. Stop. Whoa. We don't talk about that at church. That our job to each other is to warn or reprimand someone firmly. The second definition is to warn someone of something to be avoided. Watch out. Be careful. Look where you're going. Number three, advise. Right? So what, what am I talking about? Accountability. That's the other word we don't like. Yo, I love, hey, love's cool, man, but don't tell, me, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what's wrong or right. That's the way it is. Listen to this, Galatians 6, 1 and 2. So it's accountability. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. This is, Galatians 6, 2 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way. So let's just get to it in a minute. Brothers and sisters, if someone has overtaken any wrongdoing, let me put another word for you so you know, sin. If someone has overtaken any wrongdoing, sins, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Weird. I, I thought it said punish. That's what I thought it was supposed to say, right? I mean, that's what they tell us, punish them until, and hit them with a whip until they cry and then tell them they have to go through a path of restoration. And then when they're gone, they can't come to church during that time. And then after they are sad enough and hurt enough, you can bring them back. That's not what it is, is it? If someone has overtaken any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting that the burden is attached with the idea of our mistakes. You see, so many times when people sin, we, the reason we throw them out, even pastors, ministry leaders, right, the reason we cast them out is because the truth is we can say what we want. We don't want to carry the weight of the embarrassment, right, of being associated with them, of the work it's going to take to get them out of that mess, to clean it up. We don't want to deal with it, so we'll come up with a reason to say, oh, we're just protecting everyone. That's not true, and that's not what we're supposed to do. That can only happen, right, if it's overtaking any wrongdoing. How am I going to know if you're in wrongdoing and you know if I'm in mine if we aren't, we don't have accountability? Now, you don't know if I'm acting weird, right, unless you what? Are in community with me. So they all build on each other. If you're in community, that enables to do this, the third part, which is have accountability. Push each other to be what Christ told us to be. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. It's one of the reasons if you come here, you might be like, this is weird. There's going to be a time at the end of this where people are up here willing to pray for you. Now, I tried to put them in the back one time because I thought you might be embarrassed. You know what's crazy? Nobody went when it was in the back. I'm serious. But you put them in the front. Why? This is the opportunity. We don't like that. Confessing our sins to one another. You know why we don't do that? Because what are they going to think of me? They're going to kick me out. They don't want me anymore. They're going to think poorly of me. But if, we were, if you really believed that even in your sin, right, that you could confess it in safety, be restored, be loved, have someone come alongside you and carry that weight, not tell the whole world, wouldn't that feel nice? Yes, you know it would. But that's not the culture we've created in the church. Hide your sin. Hide it. Don't tell anyone. It's the bad one. What's the bad one for you? What's the unforgivable sin? 
Because here's the thing. Let me put your worst day up on this television screen for everyone to see, your worst moment, and see how many people throw stones at you. A lot. And I've said this, and I'll say it a million times. We are so scared of wolves amongst the sheep that we'll shoot sheep just in case. And that's not the way of Christ. So we hold each other accountable. We help to keep each other onto the path. What's the path? Following Christ. It happened all the time. Paul did it to Peter. Paul had to go to Peter, who started the church, and say, hey, man, you're doing something wrong. You need to kind of come back. Go read it in the book of Acts. It's crazy. He has to repent and change. They call each other out. They, they, they change. Call out ends up, by the way, becoming this aggressive thing where it's like, I hate you. You're stupid. Come back. It's not what it has to be. A call out could be like, hey, you're, do you think you're doing the right thing here? We pick each other up when we stumble. We call each other out when we're being drawn or tempted off the path. Listen, we cannot do this alone. And in the early church, they would not even thought it an option. They would think you're crazy to think you could do this on your own. Or you could do this half-heartedly. What if the church in China approached church the way you do? What would happen to the faith? Some of you all don't understand what's happening in other countries. They have to meet in secret by candlelight with one page of the Bible. Can you, ah, I don't feel like going today. I need my cup full. They don't do that. They know they need each other. They want to be together. We are so arrogant. We take for granted the blessing that we have to be able to come here. Think about that. You know what some of those people would do to be able to walk in here and worship with us? It would be unbelievable. And we just go, just another day, lazy Sunday. Man, me too. How can I be in a grumpy mood when I come to church? Sometimes, man, that's convicting. How can I be grumpy when I get to see you all? That's crazy. All right, moving on. Accountability. Okay, so accountability. Well, how do we know what to hold people accountable to? You're going to like this, Emma. It all builds on each other. Teaching. We come to teach and learn. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable, that means useful, for teaching, for rebuking. There's another word we don't like. Rebuking is you're doing something wrong, stop it. For correcting and for training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible teaches us, and certainly you don't need me to study the Bible, right? But, and I, didn't, I could have put this in here, it would take a long time, God has made us all a body, right? And he's given us all gifts. I cannot be naturally as hospitable as, let's say, Jill. Everybody knows that. Hey, I'm going to come and have my sandwich or something, right? That's not me. I don't think that way. I don't think that way. I'm not as good a singer as the ladies that come up here and sing. I'm not, okay? We all have gifts, and they're useful. There are teachers that have been put in the body to teach us the word of God. It doesn't mean they're better than us, but it does mean you should listen. And nothing else tested against Scripture, right? You want me to throw a podium? Are you with me? Nice. I get his attention big time. I start talking podium. Oh, I'm just kidding, man. There's one guy in here that wants me to throw a podium and supports me every time, and it's Fred. I love it. He's like, burn, burn this place. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be the only one here next week, man. If that happens, it'll be me and you and Greg. Anyway, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Yeah. We need that. We come together to learn the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.13, you don't believe me? Well, listen to this. What does he say here? Until I come, give your attention to public reading. You think that's like reading Time magazine? No. 
It's the Bible. To reading, exhortation, that means calling us out. Do this, what I'm doing right now, trying to, and teaching. That's why we come together. We come together to study the word of God, to learn and to grow in knowledge of the truth. I missed, okay, so you guys know this, when I took my little break, um, which wasn't as good as it should have been. I'm trying, Gina. I'm getting better and better. But I took a break, and I was not here for four Sundays. I was only missed, like, actually seven days of being here at the church, but I missed four Sundays. And I'm not, I shouldn't tell you this. By the end of that, guys, my spiritual life was affected. I'm not kidding you. I was, more, I was still studying at times, but then all of a sudden my desire to read was fading a little bit. All of a sudden I felt my thought life changing. You know, my focus changing. Why? Because there's something about being together, being with the saints, that lends itself, right, to, to coming and staying in the Word of God. Coming to and staying in the Word of God. We, we study that's the small groups. That's the things that, all of those things that we do, we, we come to learn and to grow and to be taught. And it's not just me teaching you. You guys teach me too. That's what I mean when I miss that time, okay? You with me? Community, blah, blah, blah. Lisa, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the teaching. And the last one. Let's do weird things. See if you're paying attention. This is very beautiful. This one to me is very important. My heart's for evangelism. You know what that means? Telling people that don't know. You know why? Because I'm old enough to remember what it was like without Christ. I was, I was old enough, I mean, when I came to know him, that I remember life before him. I was dead. And I had some amazing, God blessed me so much with believing friends, okay? And sometimes they watch this. And so I got to be careful what I say to them because, like, my high school buddies have actually called and said, hey, why'd you say I'm the dumb one? You know, that kind of thing, which I didn't say. They really did this. So if you're watching, Jason, that's what I'm saying. But my buddy, I'm not trying to insult them. My buddies, we're in high school and stuff, and that's why I work on you, you, you teens, you, you youth, because, listen, I was there, and they didn't tell me about Jesus. I love them. They were amazing, and, like, they kept me from trouble just by who they were, but they didn't tell me about Jesus, and they, at least two of them were very involved in church. Now, I don't necessarily blame them. They weren't taught that, but that's why I push you too. Do you tell people, kids, teens, high schoolers, I needed you to tell me because I didn't know. Parents, by the way, how are you hindering your kids' faith by the way you approach Christianity? Do you complain all the time to them about church and then expect them to be different? Do you act one way here and another way at home? That's church life. This is real life. It's not the way it's supposed to be. You're confusing them. Because that's when they come and they don't know what to believe and who to trust. So evangelism, I got one off on a tangent there, mini sermon. Well, it leads back to this. That's why it's so important. Ephesians 3.10. Listen to the beauty of this. That is so God's multifaceted wisdom may be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities, and even the heavens. What does that mean? This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through church to the rules and authorities in the heavens. The most powerful people on this earth, and even not, right? Angels and all that, man. I mean, that's why he says this, but the most powerful people on this earth, they see God's wisdom and power through us. When we're together. His wisdom, right? Truth, the way to truth, what's best. Listen, God's way is the best way. 
And if you're in the room and you're like, that's not true, yeah, it is. What you want isn't always what's best for you. That is a powerful verse. I can already tell you're not listening about it. Listen again. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom, that means all around, every part of his wisdom, may be now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. Not to me individually, not to uh, the famous guy on TV that's preaching, to the church. I said it earlier, foundation and pillar of truth. We let the world, through us, the world knows the wisdom of God. It's our testimony. Our purpose, another purpose, is the testimony we give, that we point to him. Over and over, Jesus calls us the salt and light of the earth, a city on the hill. What do you think those things mean when we come together? You think that's just individual? When we come together, that is what we are to do. We are to be the thing that people look to because of who we know and who we follow. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and if this is given to the disciples as individuals, make no mistake, it's given to the churches as well. Jesus came near and said to them before he left, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We carry the hope of the world. We carry the message of the hope of the world. I'm going to speak to the, the kind of cold Christians. Like you're a Christian. You might be the 63%, but I think you've forgotten what you really are. You have eternal life. You have the cure for cancer, and you don't tell people. And you're embarrassed of what you have. You don't want to come here. We take for granted life, eternal life. And some of you all are like, well, I don't know if I believe. Well, then we, there's a problem. Because what were you saved from? If you don't accept the reality of hell, then how can you accept the reality of a Savior? We give glory to God in this world. We are the testimony of his power and his might. In the change that he made in our hearts, we point, to the people, we point people to the reality of his existence. I have seen people's lives changed in this church. I have watched them before and seen them after, and there's no other reason other than the transform, transformative power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. So when we come together, imagine the testimony of that. New creation, it calls us new creatures, if it's translated right. We are new creatures. We're aliens. We're foreigners. We're a royal priesthood, chosen, holy, sanctified, a light, salt, city on a hill. And we point to him. We point people to the hope of the world by how we love each other and how we love them. Not just individually, but as an institution. I didn't put this stat up, but it said, you know, and I, and I don't know what it would have looked like, but 15% of people, they don't quote me on that, but I believe 15% of people said they believe the church stepped up during the pandemic. I want you to listen to this, and I, and I mean it. I'm, I'm going to offend people. We let someone tell us when and how we could share the gospel to them, when we could worship. And I already offend some of you, right? I, I'm not saying don't be wise, but I am saying, right, it came a time that we use it as an excuse to take the easy way out. Our testimony, hope of the world, we make disciples and we advance the kingdom of God inch by inch. That's what we do. That's our purpose. So, throw them all up there for me. I have them listed here in case you missed it. What's the purpose of God's church? Worship. 
community, accountability, teaching, and testimony. If you take any one of those away, something vastly important is missing. And they all build on each other. We don't come together to worship him, which he deserves, even if the rest of it didn't happen, right? If all he did was save me from and give me eternal life, that's enough. The community, the accountability, the teaching, the testimony. But that's, guys, listen, you're all going to say, of course we believe that, but you don't. Because it's become culturally acceptable to have a, the McDonald's type of church. Better not put pickles on my hamburger, I'm not coming back, right? And some of you, you know, that, that there, there is a time and place, I get, you know, like your family, it's a big decision to choose a church home, and, and if you're truly looking and seeking, then God bless you, but you got to be honest with yourself. Do you, do you stay, you know, long enough to, 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 to get some, some encouragement, hopefully, listen to good music, to, to, to hear some more, get a pick-me-up, but you don't, but then you leave. You don't want anyone to know you, you don't want to commit That wasn't possible in the early church. They didn't say to themselves, hey, I don't like you anymore, Bob. I'm going to go down here to this other church. That didn't happen. No, that's why if you read the Bible, it's so radical. He says, listen, you got to forgive each other 70 times 7, right? you got to call each other out. You've got to hold each other accountable, right? You've got to, uh, here's how you deal with someone who refuses to repent, Here's how you're supposed to worship. Here's how you're supposed to take care of each other. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put money together to take care of each other. All these things that we're told to do, the truth is we want the benefits of church when we want it, but we don't want any of the responsibility when it's not optional. I tell this story a lot. I was driving down the road. I can tell you where I was. This was during my, my more rebellious phase. I was a believer. I'm mad at the church. I was hurt by the church. Have been since then. Okay. There's, de-church, there's unchurched and de-churched people out there. De-churched means you're a believer, but you've been hurt and burned. You love Jesus, but man, that, that, his people stink, don't they? I agree. I thought the same thing. I'm driving towards Valparaiso University to visit some buddies of mine, yelling at God, having an argument with him. I can't believe this. I can't stand the church. I can't stand how it is. I can't stand these people. And then just that still voice is like, you mean that thing you're already a part of? Exactly. That, you just said that was what I did. I was like, oh, changed my whole direction. Whether you want to be or not, you are part as a believer. If you believe in Jesus Christ and accept it as your Lord and Savior, you're already a part of the body. But are you, a, are you a finger trying to do it alone? That's not going to work, is it? That creepy thing from Adam's family, you know? You're like crawling around. Is that called thing? Well done. All right. <laughs> we make disciples. We advance the kingdom of God. We come together. We all want it. You know you want it. And it takes a lot to scrape away the tradition sometimes. The idea that like, oh, it's fine. I mean, literally right now, I mean, it'd be interesting if I somehow could find how many churches are within a two-mile radius of here. And that's great, right? I mean, I, that, that's, that's fine if, if they were filled, you know? That's fine. But somehow... We've, we've kind of, we, we've taken it to mean like, well, this is easy. I'll just find what fits me instead of, man, you should be fitting yourself to the word of God. 
Listen, I got a jacked up finger. You see this scoop finger right here? See how it scoops? You probably can't tell. Some of you are like, what a weirdo. Yeah, this, I dislocated this, didn't fix it. I don't like this finger, all right? It's affected the way I ride. I'm left-handed, stay with me. It's annoying, okay? It looks funny. I'm not flipping you off, it's not my middle finger, right? It's like a scoop. I always say I could just go eat some Tostitos, you know, or whatever, salsa with this thing. Look, I'm serious. It's affected the way, but you know what? I, I definitely don't want it chopped off. You get what I mean? I still want it. So no matter how broken this thing is, I still want it here. I want, I want it a part of my body. That's the way we should be for each other. Whether you think you're the healthy finger or whether you're the goofy scoop finger. Either way, whatever you think you are, right? We have to change the way we view things. I really believe we can change. We can change the culture. I've said this, right? If, you, if you're a member here, you know that. You know I believe that. Maybe you forget. I believe it. Call me naive. I believe it. God's done it throughout history, right? Revival. Every church talks about it, but it's deeper than a, than a week-long meeting where we worship and pray. It means individual change in our hearts, and then when the stones come together, the body, the building is changed, right? You can't do it backwards. You can't say, I'm going to change the church, but leave everybody the same. We have to change. That's why I tell people, listen, if we're not your cup of tea, awesome. I mean, well, not awesome. It's sad. I love you. I wish you'd come, but please go find a church home, a church home where people know you and are known by you. And admit to yourself the reason you don't want that. There's only two reasons, fear or pride, period. You're afraid of being hurt or you don't want nobody in my business telling me what to do, right? Either way. She's going to come play some music and I want to leave you with this. What's been the way you approach church? What do the people around you think of church? And this takes courage. When you're sitting alone and you're on your way here, right, on a Sunday morning, What's, the, what's the, the surface level thoughts in your head? Is it joy and excitement? I get to see my brother and sister. It's like, oh, good gosh. But I better go because Todd's going to annoy me if I don't. Some of you all know that's it. Except I'm not going to be the one to annoy you because I'm too stubborn and prideful too. I'm like, I don't want you either, right? That's a terrible attitude to have. But that's my, my point. What's your, what's your true heart for the church? Has it become a burden to you? Because even if everyone else is like that, you can set the culture. You can change. What's your testimony to your family? You know, I have this a lot. Unbelie- you know, a lot, mo- the majority of my family are unbelievers too. I've been told by family members, this is a true story, you take that God thing too seriously. Do I conform to them? Do you conform to them? Or do you make it important? Well, then they're going to call me a cult. So what? They've done that since the beginning of time. How weird is it that a church gets called a cult if they want to spend time together Right, But if you want to hang out with your buddies from work that you spent 45 hours with drinking on the weekend, that's just another Saturday. You don't realize how the enemy has twisted things and how we contribute to the way, like your testimony to your family and friends that don't know Jesus by the way you view the church, the way you approach the church. we got to change. And don't take my word for it. Take this and go and test it against Scripture. If anything, it's going to be more obvious. It's not going to be less if you, go, if you go look this up. I skipped a lot. Ask the guys. I gave a lot already, too. I had like 20 verses there, but there definitely could have been more. We need to change. And maybe you've contributed to that. Maybe you need to repent. That means turn away and say, man, I've approached this wrong. I've, I've 
hindered the church, whether it's here. I'm not just talking about the remnant, the church. Or I haven't added to a church, and I, Lord, I'm sorry for not listening to you and be obedient to you. I'll pick and choose which of those five I want. I like the, I like the teaching. I like the worship. You ain't giving me any community or accountability because I've been hurt. I get that. And you'll probably get hurt again. That's the, the, the stinky thing, man. It's, we're broken people, right? That God is changing. Take this time and think about that. What do you want our testimony to be individually and as a group, as a family, as a, a church with a capital C? Are you advancing the kingdom or are you kind of just being drug along or you sometimes hop on the train and hop off? When you're in this room, and I know you're here because I was in there, and you don't, Christians are stupid, you don't like Jesus, all that stuff. Here's the thing, I guarantee you it's not Jesus you don't like because I was that way. You've probably been mistaken on what the gospel really is. Hey, here's what you've been told. Come and pretend you're perfect, hide all your secrets, and think you're better than everyone. It's not true, and I'm sorry you've been lied to. Here's the truth of the gospel, and you're going to know this in your heart, whether you respond or not. I believe that little voice you're going to hear, the one that's like, hmm, something about that, that's, that's God. God made everything perfect. He made us to live in it. He made it for us, and to be in relationship with him, we are image bearers of God. That means we're made in the image to be in relationship with him, and he said there's one rule, not all the rest. I'm God, you're not. I will tell you what right and wrong is. That's what I want. That's what it was all about in the garden. And we rejected that. And before you say, well, why am I getting punished for what they did? You reject that. Every time you've chosen your own way, every time you've done that thing you know is wrong, every time you've chosen something else over God, every lie you spoke, every moment of hatred, every time you stole everything you've done in the dark of the room, in the light of the computer, all of those things that you feel shame for, that's what happens when we wander around this dark earth without the creator, without being in a relationship. You see, because when we were severed, sin entered the world. Sin's a condition. It's not all your good acts. That's why it doesn't work to pretend. You can, there are people in this world that are better people than me morally, but that doesn't save them because the standard is perfection. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you're not perfect, you're separated from him. Perfect white snowball and a mud ball can't come together and the, and the snowballs stay white. It can't happen. And God said, okay, you, you want to make yourself perfect. Can you follow ten rules? No, we couldn't even follow those. And Jesus tried to tell us that. He said, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. What's that mean before you say, no, I haven't yet? Yeah, it has. The only thing stopping you is opportunity. It's a heart issue. And from this condition has come all of the negative things we see, the hate and the hurt and the shame. I'm not just talking about your bad deeds. I'm talking about that hole in your heart. The loneliness, the brokenness, the shame, the misery, the things you try to fill with bottles and pills and bodies. And it never works. Maybe for a time. We're hopeless. You're hopeless. And you know it. You try to distract yourself. We all do. And in the midst of that, the Bible says all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We're all separated from our creator. And we will be judged for what we've done. And it says the wages of sin are death. What we've earned is death. That is hell. You don't have to believe in it. Hey, great. Jump off a building and say you don't believe in gravity. What's going to happen? It exists outside of your belief. And we will all come to know that someday. Tomorrow's not promised. That is our situation. Hopeless, dark, 
terrifying. But God had a plan. God did something miraculous. God said, essentially, if you will reverse the decision you made before, if you will let me be God and you not. He invaded this earth. He came to us when we couldn't come to him. Jesus of Nazareth existed. Don't be silly and say he didn't. That's not even good history. He existed. He didn't give you the option that he's a good teacher or that he's a Buddha or any other things. He said one thing. He said, I am the son of God. I am the way and truth of the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the light and the hope of the world. That is what he said. So there's a few options as C.S. Lewis put it, right? He's a liar, a lunatic, or he is the son of God. And if he is the son of God, then you should listen. He taught us how to live. He told us the real heart of God, love and forgiveness and restoration and peace and joy and all of these things. And that's good. It's like he pointed the way to heaven, right? That's, that's where you're from. But then he did something incredible. He bridged the gap so we could get there. But here's the problem, right? The wages were already there. The debt is waiting. Someone had to take our place. Someone had to pay that price. Jesus died on the cross, an innocent man. God made flesh, horrible physical death and a spiritual death. He truly, he truly felt the complete absence of God alone as he cried, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died. This man, this perfect, good man, died. God died in your place. Why? Three days later, he was raised from the dead. It's a fact. Over 500 people witnessed the risen Christ. Records of that, 500 people. So what does that mean? Well, he overcame death. So that you could too. And the Bible says, if you will do the thing that's been the hardest for you to do your whole life, if you will humble yourself, and you will say, God, forgive me. I don't understand it all. I'm sorry for what I've done. You're God, I'm not. If you will accept Jesus for who he is, you don't have to clean it up first. You don't have to put it together first. You don't have to, to stop that addiction. You don't have to get your life cleaned up, your marriage cleaned up, your relationship cleaned up, your sin, your addiction. You don't have to do any of that. He will meet you right now where you're at in the muck, in the sin, in the loneliness, in the brokenness. And the Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved. On the cross, he will take the sin, the shame that you've carried your whole life. And he will give you the benefits of his perfect, holy, spotless life. And you will be sealed, this is real, with a powerful promise. The Holy Spirit, which will change you. It happened to me. Nobody taught me. They told me this. He loves you. He loves you. And even today, this moment was divinely orchestrated so he could reach out to you, his son or his daughter, and say, I'm right here. I haven't forgotten you. All you have to do is reach out to me because I'm already reaching out to you. You have the opportunity today. And I'm not going to trick you like I was tricked. Who wants this? Now you got to go back behind a secret door. That's what they told me. I'm going to tell you this so you can do it with open eyes. There's going to be people up here willing to pray for you. It is your life, your eternity. Your shame, your weight, your guilt. It's your new life waiting for you. Don't leave here the same as you came, to, came in. Walk up. Eternity's a long time. Eternity's a long time, and we only have a brief amount of time to respond. Whatever you do, whether you're that person that needs to accept Christ and have new life, I promise you it's real and he loves you. Today, you may not believe this, was for you. 
as much as it was, if you were the only person in the room, he's saying this to you. And if you are a believer, but you haven't been approaching this life, this church the way it should be, take this time, make it serious. Repent of it and change and be committed to being what Christ has called us to be. Whatever you do, don't leave the same as you came in because if you do, you're choosing to.